Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. So, um, as we get ready to begin tonight, a lot has been going on in the world. And uh, there's been a lot of strife and a lot of stress. I know personally, I have been feeling a lot of stress and have been feeling a burden uh, this past week or so. Uh, the world is, is seemingly on fire right now. Um, even right here in our hometown of Asheville, we're seeing tear gas and curfews. We're seeing protests and vandalism. There is a lot of turmoil going on around us. And there's also a lot of turmoil going on within us, inside of us, in our hearts. And I'm feeling like the circumstances in our world have created this dynamic, even for disciples in the church, it's almost like the time of Israel's judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I'm kind of feeling like Jeremiah when he said that he had a fire shut up in his bones and He was weary of holding it in. Indeed, he could not. This fire in his bones was this word from God, this this call to righteousness for God's people. And I'm feeling a similar feeling now. You know, I've been bombarded with questions about the protests, about the riots, about the racial tension in this country, about the murders that have taken place in a very public forum, and about the systemic issues that underpin and undergird all of it. And you know, I certainly do not have all of the answers, but I know that we must seek and cling to the one who does. So I want to start by opening up to John chapter 15. If you would open up John chapter 15 with me. In John chapter 15, in verse one, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, if I'm really honest with you guys, uh, I'm very concerned that on the whole in general, I'm concerned that Jesus' church is not showing themselves to be his disciples in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this tension. I'm concerned that the world is not seeing us remain in the vine of Jesus 
and show ourselves to be his disciples. If you look over in Proverbs chapter 17, in Proverbs 17, in verse 3, I thought this short verse was applicable and appropriate for us. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You know, the writer here is talking about how silver and gold is refined through crucibles, through furnaces, through these processes. These metals are made more pure and more valuable in doing so. And the writer says that the Lord tests the heart and that it is very similar. It's analogous to this process in which he's refining us and making us more pure and more valuable to him. And I think right now, church, this is a time of testing right now. I think the world and the church especially is undergoing a fire and a testing. And I'm afraid that this fire might burn up some of what is not pure. And I'm concerned that uh, we ourselves might be caught up uh, and burnt completely, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you would look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11. You know, the context here, Paul's talking about feuds, infeuds, and infighting in the church about leadership and which leaders people follow and who they have allegiance to and who they have, have had influence from. And in verse 11, Paul says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And obviously the context here is that Paul's talking about the work of himself and other leaders uh, proclaiming the gospel and laying the foundation of faith for people here in Corinth at this time. But he's using this metaphor that what we build with matters because there's going to come a fire. And that fire, much like the crucible and the furnace that the proverb writer talked about, is going to reveal, it's going to test, it's going to strip away, it's going to separate. And Paul here says that it's going to test the quality of each person's work. And I think right now what we're seeing in our country, what we're seeing in our community is a fire and it's a test. And I believe that what we are building and what we have built our faith on is being tested. And I'm concerned, if I'm quite honest, that some of what we have built is not going to make it. But if we allow this time of testing and this time of fire and this time of refinement to do what God wills it to do, which is to make us more, more pure and more valuable to himself and bring greater glory to himself. But we have to be willing to do that, willing to be a part of that. And I'm afraid right now that there's so much noise, there's so much, there's so many voices and there's, there's so much confusion 
that I'm afraid that we're not building well. We're not building with that gold, that silver, and those costly stones. I want to talk about a very specific way that I think that we, I say we as in the Asheville Church, specific disciples in it, and also the broader church at large, especially in America, one way that we can build well with costly stones and silver and gold rather than wood, hay, and straw is how we look to represent Jesus online. We're going to go through some scriptures here, and I want to make some commentary on these passages as it relates to how we personify Jesus and the gospel through our lives online, through our digital avatars. And I want to call the church to a place of conviction and repentance about this. That when we say Jesus is Lord and we are baptized with him and buried into his death and raised to newness of life, that includes our lives online. And unfortunately, I am impassioned with zeal that I'm seeing many disciples of Jesus not representing Christ well online. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. What a great promise that is. I want to encourage you and challenge you to believe this, that if you are in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, And gave us this ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation. This is needed every day on planet Earth, but it is in the forefront of our minds and vision right now. Nothing is needed more than a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Amen. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation to us, the church, the bride of Jesus, the followers and disciples of Jesus. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become together the righteousness of God. This is a message of reconciliation that we are looking to take to the world that God has committed to us. God's plan of reconciliation was to use us as his mouthpiece to reconcile others, to implore others to be reconciled to him through Jesus. And yet over and over again, especially over the last couple of weeks, I have seen disciples get on social media and do everything but reconcile. They have created a message and an environment that continues to entrench division, enmity, and hatred to the point where even non-Christians are saying, wait, aren't you guys supposed to love each other? And I want to call us to repent. I would say think twice before posting to social media, but that's not strong enough. And you know if you fall in this category, 
if you have a post that has comment after comment after comment and this conflict and this argumentation and this this dissentious spirit in it then you know this should apply to you you need to get a lot of help and you need to get a lot of mature brothers and sisters helping you and even looking at your posts before you post it you know sometimes i do this actually i do this quite a lot with my wife with texts right i say Honey, look at this text before I send it. Let me know if you think it's okay. How should I reword this? Is this coming across the way that I want it to? We need to get help. And unfortunately, one of the great ills, one of the great evils of social media is that it has given everyone a platform. It has given everyone a microphone. And everyone does not need a microphone. Everyone is not qualified to have a microphone. There's a reason why in the Bible, the New Testament talks about God's spirit gifting people for specific purposes. There's a reason why not everyone gets up and just starts preaching over one another. But social media, from a secular standpoint, has given everybody the opportunity to air their opinions. And it is not glorifying to Jesus if we're not careful. Now, can social media be good? Of course it can. But it takes great maturity. Because social media and the internet in general is not benign, it's not neutral, it has an agenda too. You think Facebook is benign? It has an agenda. It wants to use you as much as you use it. And if we think otherwise, we're naive and likely being ignorantly led astray. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1. We read, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Just let that sink in for a minute. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And this is what I want to do. For he says, for there is a time that will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I know to exegete this passage properly, Paul is speaking to a specific individual in history. His name was Timothy. And I believe that this was written for Timothy or is written to Timothy. But I also believe it's written for us. There are things that we can extrapolate here for our own lives. Even though we might not be an evangelist, even though we might not be leading a church in Ephesus in the first century AD, there are still principles here that I believe God wants us to consider and to embrace in our own lives. And I want us to really hone in on verse five. He says, keep your head in all circumstances. I tell you what, so many of us are not keeping our heads. You know, if you go back and look at the sermons, from earlier this year in the beginning of the year and last fall, I talked about this. I didn't know COVID was coming. I didn't know what was going to happen. There's no way I could foresee uh, a greater uh, uproar of racial tension. But I saw the election coming and I said then people are going to lose their minds online. 
And I said, and it's going to be some of you in the church. We have not kept our heads in this situation. We've got to learn how to endure hardship in a way that represents Christ as his ambassador. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Amen. But do not use your freedom to, the, to indulge the flesh. Uh-oh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Go back and look at your social media stream for the last three weeks and ask yourself honestly. In fact, even ask others in your life that are close to you. Does your social media stream, does your online presence serve others humbly in love? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This unfortunately is what I'm seeing happen way too often right now between disciples of Jesus, between Christians, biting and devouring one another. Paul's saying, watch out, watch out. And I'll just be honest, some of you, need to just stop altogether. You need to fast. You need to stop being on social media. Stop going to the internet. Stop looking at the news. You just need to stop and allow God to come in and create clarity in your heart. And if the sound of doing that is very difficult, that should create great alarm in you because it shows a mastery of your heart. Paul obviously said that anything that masters us is what we worship. And Peter, here in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11, I'll just read a good chunk of this passage here. He says, dear friends, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, let that sink in for a minute, writing to a first century, primarily Gentile audience, people who were living as foreigners and exiles in the midst of the Roman Empire. He says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves then for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Let that sink in. Because this is so countercultural for us as independent Americans. People who pride ourselves on the fact that we stuck it to those colonials there. And that Boston Tea Party. And we fought for our independence in order to be able to take over this land by savagely killing and obliterating the native inhabitants, not to mention enslaving entire races of people to build the country of freedom that we desired. He says, submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to every human authority. You might not like what human authorities are doing right now, but the word of God calls us to submit for the Lord's sake. Submission to authority really tests what we believe. It tests who we believe in and what we believe 
the real power structure is. He says, whether to the emperor, and I don't know about you, whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump or apolitical, kind of like myself, but I can guarantee you that life is not as bad now as it was when Nero was in power, when Peter was writing this and burning Christians to light his gardens. And Peter's telling them, then, to submit to the emperor, even though he was slaughtering you and your family? This is Christian faith. He says, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. There's a lot of implications in this passage for what's going on right now in our world. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's that same thing we just saw Paul talk about in Galatians 5. Live as God's slaves. Did you know that you and I were supposed to be slaves right now? We are supposed to be slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor, and slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Are you kidding me, Peter? This is like insane. And yet we can't keep our fingers off of typing things on social media that are like social ticking time bombs and landmines of division and enmity and strife. And we can't resist the urge of jumping into it when we see it. And I'm going to get to some more practicals in a moment, but I want to lay a scriptural foundation first. For it is commendable, he says, if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, there is unjust suffering going on right now, because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you and I an example that we should follow in his steps. Wow, that's a tough teaching. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to who? To the local authorities, to the Roman guards, to Pilate? No, to the one who judges justly. How many just judges are there? There's only one and it is the heavenly father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Guys, this is a, this is a hard teaching, but this is the gospel. This is the teaching of Christian faith. And I want us to be careful that we do not allow the biblical Christian faith to be wrapped up and distorted by our American vision of what it means to be free, what it means to be prosperous, what it means to be in control of everything. 
God calls us to live as his slaves, slaves of righteousness. And whether in person, at our jobs, or online, we need to represent this gospel well. And we need to help each other to do so, to know that there is an enemy. Our enemy is lurking around, prowling around. He might be in open, plain sight right now for all I know, but I know that he is devouring some of us by getting us to backbite and argue with one another, to get us to distrust and create dissensions, all the while representing Jesus in a way that is utterly repulsive to the world around us. So some of the questions that I've been getting are about the protests. Should I participate in the protests? Should I be going? Should I not be going? How do I submit to the authorities? And right now we're talking about the protests, but you could apply some of these principles to other things like how closely should I adhere to the guidelines on social distancing during COVID, etc. Just, I would refer you back to the passage we just read in Peter. Let the Bible speak for itself. But I want to talk specifically about these protests because it's happening. And we need some spiritual direction and some spiritual focus to, to hone our understanding rather than just reacting to what we feel or what we're impassioned by or even the tendency of getting swept up into the crowd and mob mentality and group think. That's very real. You know, ironically, these protests are going on and now I'm getting inundated with people asking me about protesting. Nobody was asking me about protesting six months ago. To my knowledge, it's not like the racial tension in this country has massively changed or shifted. It's just a few more deaths and a long list of atrocities have sparked something. And now I'm getting all these questions. And we've got to really think about that and allow the Lord to test our hearts. And if he's bringing about conviction when conviction should have been there in the first place, then amen. But if we're getting swept up into what's happening in the culture around us, we've got to be careful and discerning. So should we participate in the protests? I'm going to say clearly this cannot be mandated. I can't tell you you should be protesting or you should not be protesting. This is a matter of personal conscience and conviction. But I want us to remember as we're considering these things, I'm not going into great length to lay the biblical foundation on why we should be concerned for the oppressed, the marginalized, and those that are voiceless around us. Hopefully the Bible speaks for itself there, and I have spoken many times, numerous times on that in the last 12 months. So I'm not doing that now. I'm hoping that that's assumed, that we understand that that is God's heart, and it should be ours as well. But how do we practically engage and implement and display God's heart in our context. Those questions are not always so clear cut. And sometimes it will come down to personal conscience and conviction and what we feel like is most effective and what we're feeling called and led to do by the spirit of God. But I want us to remember a principle in 2 Corinthians 10 in verse 3. Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, obviously, the context of this passage is about Paul defending his apostleship and his authority to the Corinthians because false teachers have come in and created dissension and and doubt on Paul and his authority and have made accusations about Paul's character and the fact that he's weak and ill-spoken. And in the context of this passage, he's talking about we don't wage war as the world does. And specifically, he's referring to this slander, this gossip, this backbiting, this pride and arrogance that are coming from these false teachers. He's saying we don't wage war like that. We fight with weapons that are not of this world. And I believe specifically he was probably referring to the weapon of humility, the weapon of submission, the weapons that Jesus himself overcame even death itself with, who Philippians 2 says, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I want us to remember that however we choose to engage politically, socially, however we try to be activists or not, that we would not wage war as the world does, but that we would wage war with spiritual weapons, with weapons of humility, weapons of submission, weapons of love and kindness and peacemaking and prayer. It is wrong for Christians to violently try to enact their version of justice. That does not mean that we should not be engaged or that we should not be trying to activate justice for all people as we know that God wants, but we should never do it outside of the enslavement to righteousness and Jesus that we have. And Jesus never condoned us hurting someone else, vandalizing some property, or in some sort of violent way trying to institute our will. That was not Jesus' way. And this is what will lead us to our time of lamenting. That there are times, many times throughout the Bible, many times throughout human history, many times throughout our own country's history, and many times in our own personal history, that our will is what God's will is, but we're not seeing it happen yet. It's not happening yet. And we cry out like the psalmist did, oh Lord, how long? And this is what I want to lead us to this Sunday. That right now, some of us are burning with passion that is in line with the will of God to see the oppressed freed, to see the brokenhearted mended as Jesus did in his ministry, as he announced his ministry and opened it there in the gospels with that passage in Isaiah. We want to see that happen in our world. And we are seeing some very real ways that that is not yet realized. And we should feel a deep sense of sadness and longing, and it should cause us to lament. And I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, right now, that if you do not feel a need to lament, I want to encourage you to dig there. I want to encourage you to allow God to open your eyes and your heart to what's going on around us. I would encourage you to talk with a brother or sister who is going through intense pain and difficulty and struggle 
and allow their pain to become your pain as well. And that together, as we lament to God and turn to him, our only refuge, our only source of hope, not politics, not earthly leaders, not social structures or systems, but only the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. May we be able to find peace and joy in the midst of great unrest and trial. What I want to do now is take the remaining time that we have, maybe 10 or 15 minutes or so. And I would love for us to break up into small groups on this Zoom call into a breakout room and to spend some time praying, to spend some time lamenting, and to spend some time connecting with one another and trying to connect with the heart of God in the midst of all that's going on. I love you. I speak for my wife as well. We love you guys. We love the Asheville Church. We love being partners in the gospel and battling together for God's glory and for his kingdom of justice and peace to reign on the earth as much as it can in this fallen state through us because the old is gone and the new has come now in Christ. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.